Hi, Simon Hill here. Enjoy our podcast. If you'd like to help us keep delivering the sort of quality football chat you want, then you can show your support by making a donation. Big or small, however much you can afford, we appreciate all your help and every cent will be ploughed back into improving production. Thanks in advance from all of us at Shim, Spider and so much more. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. much more. Take it away, fellas. Yes, hello again. Welcome along to episode 49, the final podcast of the current season of Shim Spider and so much more. No special guest today. Instead, we're going to answer some of your questions that you've sent in and plenty of them there are as well. And of course, we'll review the weekend's A-League Grand Final and all the action at the Euros and perhaps look ahead to a brighter future for the game. All in the company of my two cohorts, Zelko Kalatz and Craig Moore. Once more into the breach, dear friends. How are we, boys? Very well, thank you. I hope we're all well and ready to rock and roll for the last show. The final, the final countdown. Um, listen listen how happy you two are. <laughs> <laughs> give us a, a favourite guest that we've had over the previous 49 episodes. Hey, big chops. It's got to be Charlie. It's got to oh, be Charlie. Hey, by the way, big, big man, I didn't even speak to you today about who 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 we kind of thought would be the the favourite guest. And I mean, look, when you got Spud Miller, as I used to call him, Charlie Miller, Spud because he loves it. He he loves chips, right? And 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 he also showed us that he loves a can of Fosters. <laughs> <laughs> what, a legend, what a legend Charlie Miller was. That was that was one of our highest uh, rating shows in terms of numbers on the back of Charlie Miller. He was terrific. Spider, who's yours? Uh, look, I, I think we've been very lucky, guys, to, to be honest with you. I know it's been a long haul, 49 shows, and, and you know what? All the guests we've had have been first class. And the beauty, I think, about this show is is that we've been able to reach out to people that the listeners wanted to to hear, you know, like Big Dukes, even Frankie Farina, Ange, you know, all of them. They've been, they've been fantastic. It's been a great show. It's been a great chat with all of them. They've all been brilliant. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Uh, thanks for the moment, guys. Let's get started then. And this week, for one last time, the return of Simon Says. 
Simon Says. So I thought I'd wrap up this series of Shim Spider and so much more with a little recap of why we started this podcast in the first place and where we are today. Last June, I lost my job at Fox Sports. And even prior to that, in discussions with Maury and Spider, we were all of the opinion that the game lacked a breadth of opinions. Debate had been shut down, marginalised. The game pushed to the periphery of a mainstream media at best disinterested in the sport and at worst hostile to it. Football journalists had been cleared out like old junk at a car boot sale. And while we accepted, and we still do, that the game had been in many ways its own worst enemy through infighting and a lack of a clear vision, we believed football in Australia deserved much better. No other sport would have been treated this way. Old old prejudices remaining. And the only way to challenge this was to keep the conversation alive and hold people to account both in football and the media networks that were attempting to shut the game down for their own commercial agendas. We also wanted to tell some of the stories of the players, ex-players and coaches who, whose contributions get forgotten here all too quickly. Now, one year and 49 episodes later, and I'm pleased to report the game is in a far healthier state. A new TV deal has been signed. A new landscape is emerging. The A-League is independent. The FA is on track. And we have, of course, a Women's World Cup to host here in two years' time. There are no guarantees of success and there is no silver bullet to restore the game to full health, but we are on the way. We hope we've played a part in that and we would like to continue doing so. That's why we're leaving the door open to the podcast returning once the new A-League and W-League campaigns draw near next season. However, putting this together each week is not always an easy process. We live in three different countries and none of us is currently in secure full-time employment There are different priorities for all of us, and we feel that we need to take a break to reassess whether it's viable for us to continue. Once we've reached that decision, rest assured you'll be the first to know. In the meantime, a thank you. Over 2,000 of you have followed us on Twitter, engaged with us there or on Facebook, and the same number continues to download our weekly episodes, ask questions, post comments, and generally keep the football conversation flowing. That's delighted us. That was our aim, for football to be a part of the conversation. We've had some wonderful guests, as Spider said, down the weeks and months, thanks to each and every one of them for giving of their time for free, as we have done over the last year. Football has given us all a lot, so we felt it was our duty to do that, and it's been a pleasure to bring this to you every single week. A word for our sponsors as well. Streamgate and Outback Steakhouse have been there almost from the start, and they have backed us. So thanks to both for your ongoing support. And if we return, we will look to re-engage with you over the next few months. So in conclusion, a toast to you, our listeners, to our sponsors, but most of all, to the game of football. It's had some trying times over the last 12 months, but as ever, it has survived. We are the cockroaches of Australian sports. They've tried to kill us off once again, and once again, they have failed. Onwards and upwards for our beautiful game. Thank you to everyone. And let's get into hard talk. Hard talk. Hard talk is brought to you by Streamgate, one of Australia's first live streaming companies operating since 2008. They focus on virtual and hybrid events, broadcasting to unlimited online audiences worldwide by either a secure private stream page or publicly on social media. 
live streaming allows social online engagement as viewers are able to communicate back to the presenters in real time while social distancing. So should you require a small personal event or business level webcast, please go to streamgates.com.au or you can find them on Instagram. So, boys, we'll start off with uh, the 16th A-League Grand Final. Uh, Melbourne City, the champions for the first time. Spider, Maury, you were correct in your predictions at the start of the season. Um, defeating Sydney FC by three goals to one. Uh, what did you make of the game? And did the red card to Luke Bratton somewhat spoil the occasion? Not that it wasn't the, wrong de- the right decision, for my money anyway. Look, I, I think personally, I think Melbourne City deserved to win the match. Uh, they come out on the front foot. They were excellent. Sydney uh, weathered the storm, got their noses in front. And, you know, I don't, players sometimes, the, the, you know, I can't say Bratzy got overawed by the occasion, you know, playing against his ex club, but sometimes I wonder what goes through their heads. Uh, 23rd minute, red card, it was game over. Uh, there was only going to be one winner. And I really feel for Sydney FC, and I know it happens in football, but uh, when you go a man down after that early in the game, you've got no chance, especially against a side that was as dominant as Melbourne City was that day. Maury? Yeah, and and on top of that as well, Spides, we know how important goals are, and the penalty, uh, which Jamison obviously slotted away uh, fantastically well, it kind of... The game then at that stage, you, you think, well, it's gone now, isn't it? It's away from, from Sydney FC. Yes, they, they were positive, but couldn't hold on to that lead. Uh, City sort of like roped them back in um, early doors. And look, you know, I think that Melbourne City, in terms of the way that they've performed after a sticky start, um, they des- deserve it to be uh, minor premiers and grand final winners uh, when you consider. Uh, and, and Sydney also, you know, lost players for this particular grand final, but, um, you know, players that were very influential for, for Melbourne City, yeah, it's been seamless the last, uh, you know, couple of games in terms of them still not only getting to the final, but looking really, really comfortable and, and strong signs that finally spider that, that, that Melbourne City seem to have got it right. It's taken them some time, but they look as if they're definitely on the right track and there'll be some chasing from clubs in Australia now to try and get close to them. 100%. Um, what did you make of the award uh, of the penalty? We talked about the the sending off of Luke Bratton. Um, what about the award of, of the penalty right on the stroke of half time, which, as you say, was a big moment for me? I, I thought it was soft, but that's only my take on it. What about you? Yeah, I, I thought it was soft as well, but I did think it was a penalty. Like it, it was a soft penalty, but if you go back and you you review the rules, like sometimes I, I think the referees. But even Bratzy's red card, like there were two yellows and both of them, there was no malice in either of them, but they were both sort of reckless challenges. And the penalty was the same. It was it was a soft penalty, but it was a pen. It was, it, it was, it was a soft one, Spies, but I think uh, I think it was Luna. Like one, the, once he gets himself between player and ball and there's any contact in the box and... Um, we know that there's a high possibility that a penalty will be given. So I've got no issue with it. I actually think it was it was clever play by Luna, you know, making sure he got his body in the right position. He's felt contact. He's gone down. Um, no complaints for the penalty. 
Um, in terms of Melbourne City, a terrific achievement for Paddy Kisnorbo, who makes history, incidentally, uh, first coach to win both uh, the W League and A League championships in the modern era. Uh, in terms of his players, uh, how good were the front three? Again, Tilio, Kolakowski, Atkinson. I call the game for, for SEN Radio, along with Clint Bolton and pregame. We were both a bit surprised that that Paddy hadn't gone for the experience of, of Craig Noon and Andrew Naboot, both of whom were named on the bench. Slight doubt over their fitness, obviously. But the three youngsters delivered again. You know, you know what Paddy showed? He showed experience above his years as a manager. Because I guarantee you, a lot of other managers would have played the experienced players. But he went, for the, he went for the fitness and the 100% that these boys would give him, 100%, and then bring the experienced players on that weren't fully fit if he needed them. I thought Atkinson was sensational. I thought yeah. Tilio was sensational. Yeah. So with opportunities, these players will grow in confidence. Um, look, Melbourne City were frightening up front all year. Their main player didn't play. Uh, Naboo, we know how, how good he is. Noon was obviously injured, uh, or he would have played because he played all season. So Paddy made a call, as a big manager should, play the fit player. Yeah, no, it was a massive call, Spider. You're right, because a lot of times it's easy for you know, to, to, to lean back onto to the experience. And we've all been there as a younger player when that's happened to us. Um, yep. So I think what Paddy has done has is, is, is been fantastic management. Um, look, these, these younger trio up top there that we, that we mentioned, uh, Kolakowski, Tilio and, um, and, and Atkinson, um, they must be, I mean, obviously it's fantastic to play in a grand final to get the right result, to perform well. But that bond and trust now with that manager must be unbelievable. You know, I think that's another yeah. thing that is kind of cemented in terms of the, the long-term growth and development of these players because they will trust him 100%. Yep. My only question is, next season, Melbourne City have re-signed Andrew Naboot. Uh, Jamie McLaren has extended his contract and they're about to repatriate Matthew Leckie. Now, that's three frontline strikers, all of whom when fit and in form, are in the Socceroos. Yep. Where do these kids play next season? I mean, it's a nice problem for, for Paddy to have. Well, they're, 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 they're going to go from strength to strength when you when you consider the players that are going to come in, uh, Simon. Um, so, again, that's what I'm saying. Like, in terms of the other clubs, the chasing clubs, hmm. it's a big ask. But in terms of those younger players, look, the the challenge and, and the difficulty always is to, to try and get that development and get that game opportunity. But... You know, the top clubs anywhere in the world, um, the top squads are highly competitive and there is a lot of depth. So it's just about taking those opportunities when they come. I'm pretty sure the likes of McLarens and what have you, look, they'll be protected contract-wise because maybe City at some stage want to get some money for these players mm. as well. That's a fair point. Um, Spider, a word on Sydney before we move away uh, from the grand final. Um, well beaten on Sunday. Do they need a little bit of a reset? I have to say, the, the one thing that surprised me about the grand final, even a team with 10 men normally fashions a chance or two somewhere, and Sydney just could not do that. I thought they were well below their best yesterday, even taking the, the, the sending off into account. Uh, do they need uh, a little bit of a rejig, do you think? They've had a great success, well, obviously. Yeah, look, I, I think Sydney FC and Steve Corrick and all his staff have done a fantastic job. Uh, once again, another grand final just fell short against a very, very good side. Um, I, I actually truly believe the red card destroyed them. 
Uh, they had no chance after the red card. I'm telling you, Sydney was the one team that I would never want to play in a one-off match because they look out of it and 11 v 11, they somehow find a way to stay in the match. And they had the quality of Bobo up front, LaFondra up front. And don't forget, Ninkovic was on the bench. So had it stayed 11 v 11 and Ninkovic comes on at the 70th minute because obviously he had an injury as well and Bimby made another brave decision there by not, by not playing him. I think the game would have been closer than what we think. But fantastic, fantastic year again. Uh, just just fell a hurdle short, that's all. And of course, they had to uh, sacrifice Bobo early on to rejig the team um, in the wake of that sending off of Luke Bratton. Okay, uh, congratulations to Melbourne City, a worthy champions for the very first time, the seventh different uh, champions we've had in the A-League era. Let's uh, just wrap up the A-League season overall. Uh, let's get your marks out of 10 or just a comment on the other uh, 10 A-League clubs and assessments of their seasons. We'll, we'll start with the Central Coast uh, Mariners Mori, who finished third, surprised us all. But of course, now they've they've uh, parted company with Alan Stadjic ahead of ne- next season. Yeah, look, I mean, again, when you're talking about ratings, I guess you give them teams rating out of 10. Melbourne City win the grand final. Uh, I couldn't give them a perfect 10 because of the start that they had. Um, so if the benchmark is nine for Melbourne City, then <laughs> for, a, for a Central Coast Mariners, I've got, I've got to give them an eight, uh, Simon. I think Stadjic's done a, 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 an amazing job with... Um, with very much a squad that, that didn't really have a lot of change uh, from previous seasons and coaches. And uh, yet he managed to, to get the absolute best out of this playing group. Um, you know, I, I think we were all thinking that potentially there was going to be a blip uh, and maybe um, that that was going to be for a, quite a number of games, but that didn't happen for the Mariners. Um, they, they were resilient. They showed fantastic character. Uh, Matty Simon was excellent this season. Urena was excellent. Bazanic was was excellent. Young Daniel Bowman was was fantastic. Um, I give I give them an eight. I think they had a fantastic season. Uh, who knows what's going to happen next season? But we touched on it last week. I think Stadge probably made the right call. Okay, uh, Brisbane Raw Spider. Me seven. Uh, very good season. Played some good football. Uh, new manager in charge. I think a pass mark, definitely a pass mark. Uh, they, they were good. They were good for making the playoffs this year. They've they got to try to build on that. Uh, it's going to be difficult next year to, to recruit. But as we've seen, Melbourne City has led the way. Sydney FC has led the way with young players. You give them an opportunity, they can do a job. And I know their academy up at Brisbane is very good. Uh, Adelaide United, Maury. Um, Adelaide United, I give them a... Six and a half slash seven. And uh, look, Adelaide, they, um, you know, they're, they're, they're creating this, this identity, this DNA uh, at the football club. They're, they're giving younger players op- opportunities. They're South Australian proud. Um, so for me, there's a very clear um, pathway for, for kids coming through. Um, and there's a clear identity about the football club. I think the signing of Craig Goodwin was a, was a fantastic signing at the right time that, I, get, I think gave um, real balance uh, and an injection to the squad when, when it probably uh, was struggling a little bit. So for me, I think there's a lot of positives for Adelaide United to go and build from. MacArthur, Spider. For me, an eight. Uh, I, I told you at the beginning, beginning of the year, they'll be a surprise. I told you, they, they, they were fantastic. Um, first year, they got beat in the semi-final. And I tell you, with the right moments in matches, had they had a bit of luck, 
they would have got to the grand final. Uh, eight, Ante Milicic, great job with his team, staff, uh, senior players, I think led by example. Uh, I thought they were fantastic. Now they've got to build and I think they're signing some very good players for next year. So an eight for them. Uh, Wellington Phoenix, Maury, just outside the top six, of course. Yeah, look, I, it was a very challenging uh, season for, for Wellington Phoenix in terms of what was happening off the field. Look, relocated, face himself, obviously outside of Wellington. So it was very, very tough. But at the same time, again, Ulfi is, a, I think, a fantastic coach. His team play a, a really exciting brand of football. Um, he has some, he, you know, he has some really, really good players there. We've seen the difference when um, the back end of the season when they did get those games back home in Wellington and how important that can be for football clubs. So for me, like I said, I think it was unlucky circumstances for them this season, but I've still got to give them a seven because at their best and what they showed us at the back end of the season, um, I think they're a very good side. So moving on from Wellington Phoenix, we, we then go on to Western Sydney Wanderers. Um, now, look, there's, there's no doubt that Western Sydney Wanderers um, underachieved this season. When you look at the squad that they have on paper, there's a lot of talent within that squad. The expectation it was, was most certainly to be able to make the, the playoffs. Um, it was the club's expectations. It was the coach's expectations. I'm sure it was the player's expectations, but they, they fell short this season. So, you know, talent is not always enough. That needs to be the right balance. It needs to be the right mix. It needs to, be, it needs to have the right characters. There's work to do for West Sydney Wanderers next year, but this season, I've got to give them a four, four and a half. Perth Glory, Spider. Five. Um, for me, very disappointing. With, the, with the, the players that they had, the strike power that they had, um, I, I think they started off really poorly, like really poorly. And they sort of had a sniff to make the finals and they sort of just weren't good enough. I, I thought they were poor. I think their recruiting's got to be better next year. Um, but yeah, not great by Perth. Uh, on to Western United, Maury. Uh, tough one again, you know, who are Western United? They, they, they struggle for that identity. They, they don't have a home ground. So there's a lot of issues there. Um, and in terms of on the park, I just felt that this season, um, yeah, they didn't really hit their straps. There were moments where they looked a good side. Um, but I think it was more of a transition, uh, transitional kind of season for Western United. We know now that obviously they'll be looking for a, for a new coach. So an opportunity with a still a decent core group of players, Simon, I think, to be able to build something. Um, but again, when you don't have your own home and all these kind of things, it makes it very hard to get the support that the team can thrive off. Newcastle Jets, Spider? Three. Uh, I, I thought, yeah, I, I thought they were atrocious. Um, and you know what? I don't put it down to just the players. I put the club... Uh, I give the club a three for the whole uh, the whole situation with the coach and how bad they were at the beginning. And then uh, Deansy got the job and it was sort of a Band-Aid situation. I think the whole way through the season, it was very poor. And yep, the players need to look in the mirror, but I think it comes from higher. And I think it's a, it's a club problem. And I think that's what Newcastle need to fix. I know... Is it right that Pappas is going there next year? That's the rumour. I don't think that's been yeah. officially confirmed as yet, but uh, yeah, that's a very strong rumour. 
that that would be that would be a good signing for for Newcastle and the board. I don't know what the situation there is, but I think that's where Newcastle need to fix their fix their problems before they look at the players and the team. And uh, finally, Maury, Melbourne victory, wooden spooners for the first time in their history. Yeah, and look, I mean, I've got to go. If, if Spider's given Newcastle Jets a three, then I think Melbourne victory are certainly at that that same um, point, if not a little bit less. I mean, because we look, we know the quality of Melbourne victory. We know that the wheels have well and truly fallen off uh, in recent times at Melbourne victory. Um, Popper's going to come into an extremely tough job because there may not be huge wiggle room in terms of player roster. I know that players have been uh, released, but it's going to be a tough job. But what Melbourne Victory have produced over um, you know, the, the course of the, the A-League history so far and what, what they kind of produce and the players that they have at the moment, um, a long, long way off. At the same time, football can change very, very quickly and we wish Popper all the best. Okay, well, that's uh, the club's taken care of. Um, I want your team of the season. Here's, here's my A-League team of the season to give you a, a little benchmark. Uh, so I've gone Andrew Redmayne in goal. I've gone Ryan Grants at right back. Uh, Ruon Tongyik and Curtis Good, the two central defenders. Scott Jamison left back. Uh, in midfield, Connor Metcalf and Luke Bratton, which I chose obviously before the grand final. Um, and then a bank of three, Ulysses Davila, Milos Ninkovic, Alessandro Diamanti, and of course, Jamie McLaren up top. Uh, how do you differ from my 11 boys? Um, Maury, do you want to go first? Yeah, I'll go. Like I'm, my back four is the same as you, Simon. Um, but I've gone for, I've gone for a bit of Gideon goals. A bit of Gideon goals. Um, and again, we've not got an opponent here, so we can be as, ta- as an, uh, attacking as we like, yeah? So, in one yeah. minute. One minute. <laughs> <laughs> but I've got, I've got Bazanic in there also. I've got the Villa, um, and I've gone for um, Craig Goodwin. I know he came in late, but I just think that the impact that he had at Adelaide was sensational. Uh, McLaren up top, uh, Matt Derbyshire, and I'll probably go with Craig Noon. Right. You, you give me hey, about so, 15 so, names there. So, so, so Maury's actually not, not worried sorry, about defending. <laughs> All right. My, on, my 11 is like this. I've got Federici in goals. I thought he was outstanding. I yep. thought he was a great acquisition by, by MacArthur. Uh, I've got Strain at right back. Wilkinson and Curtis Good, the two stoppers. I thought Jamison was outstanding this year. Yep. i tell you a person in midfield, I've got Roston Griffiths, who I think was so underrated and was brilliant for Melbourne City. Uh, Bazanich in midfield. And then I've got Derbyshire, Davila and Goodwin. I agree with Maury. I know Goodwin coming late, but I thought he was outstanding. And up top, McLaren. Now, I've actually got a bench because there's a few of them that will come knocking on the door and ask <laughs> why they're not in the first 11. And these were the ones that I actually thought were very, very close. I'm happy you're going with the bench because hey, football's brutal, mate. I just remember the starting 11. Yeah, Bir- Birigetti was outstanding this year. Tonya could knock on the door and ask why he's not in the starting 11. Jack Clisby, I thought, was excellent for Central Coast Mariners. Just that I thought Jamo led by example in a championship winning team. Uh, Stefan Morg from Adelaide, I thought, was very good. I put Ninkovic on the bench because I, even though he's a fantastic player, he wasn't as consistent this year. 
but I still like to bring him on at the 70th minute. And I thought Dan Zaki was, was really good for mm. Brisbane. And coach of the year I gave to Kuznobo. Had Bimbi won the grand final, I would have given it to Bimbi because I think it was a remarkable effort to, to win three, but it didn't happen. So Paddy gets coach of the year with a first season winning everything. Well done. Um, Ryan Strain, your man, has signed for Maccabee Haifa in Israel, uh, the club of Nikita Rukovitsa. What do you reckon to that? Well, they must, have, they must have seen my first 11. So <laughs> they must have said, well, Spider's got him in. He must be all right. Now, look, he had a fantastic season. He really did. He had a fantastic season. Uh, and he's a good player. And he'll, he'll suit a league like that. Well done. Um, yes, it's a good move for Ryan Strain. Uh, in terms of the A-League overall, obviously, that's the end of the current TV deal. Uh, Channel 10 and Paramount Plus to come in uh, very, very shortly. Uh, what did you make of the season overall? Just to finish off on, on on the domestic competition, a lot of people said it was the best season ever. Um, do you concur with that? Where are we at? And, and you know, what would you like to see going forward? Um, obviously, that's about four questions in one. But yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. sum it up if you can. Look, I think A League overall, Simon. Look, there's been some wonderful moments, and I, I tend to to refer to the moments and the players that have come and made a contribution over the last 15, 16 years. You know, starting from um, you know, Dwight York and then, you know, going on to the, the Del Pieros and Shinji Onos and, and then also the importance of the A-League and a, and a thriving A-League in terms of the players that we're, we're able to develop of our own. You know, you look at the likes of the Aaron Moyes that have gone overseas and done extremely well for themselves. The, the, the Mille Yedinak story, which is a fantastic story. There's some wonderful stories um, within that. Where are we at now? Look, we're, we're in a really good position where... We have a, a secure future for the next five seasons, five years. Uh, I just hope that the influential people of the game really grab it by the scruff of the neck and give it a right old shake and, and really take us forward now. Spider. Yep. Uh, Maury, you said that very well. Uh, it doesn't leave much to say, does it? I, I thought the season was outstanding, to be honest with you. I thought there were some really entertaining games. I put that down to a lot of kids getting opportunities and a lot of mistakes getting made. But when you have a lot of mistakes, you have entertainment as well. And the teams were quite brave. There was a lot of attacking football. Uh, great, great games to watch. I, I don't think anyone can complain about the quality of the league this year in, in terms of entertainment. And everything that Maury said about the, the television, I think Fox have been fantastic for 16 years. I think it was the right time to move. The, the move has been made. We all know where we're going to now, Channel 10. Let's hope they grab it by the scruff of the neck, promote the hell out of the game and build the game to what it should be, the number one sport in Australia. Absolutely. Um, one more before we move overseas. Uh, Maury, big rumour that uh, Kevin Muscat, your close mate, is about to take over at Yokohama F Marinos. Come on, give us the scoop. We won't tell anyone. <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of lot of media talk. Yeah, no, what do they say? No, no, no smoke without fire. Yeah. Uh, no, nah, look, I mean, obviously, uh, there were there were kind of discussions taking place. Uh, I don't know whether it's at the pointy end or not. Um, but if this was to come off uh, for for Kevin Musket, um, and I'm sure on the back of probably a, a positive rap by Ange Postacoglu, no doubt. Um, but it would be an amazing opportunity for a, for a coach that we know is. It has got fantastic qualities and, and has been patient, Simon. So if it does come off, be, a, again, a fantastic opportunity and move for another Australian coach that hopefully does very well. 
How's this Japanese? I'll tell you what. How's this Japanese, Maury? Oh, mate, I can't imagine it. Uh, <laughs> but I believe they like to, to, to every now and then maybe take a shot and celebrate. So you might be good at that. <laughs> I, tell, I, I tell you what, the last month has been the most positive talk about football with all these coaches getting great opportunities, the television. Mate, if this positivity keeps going, it's going to be outstanding. We're going to be the number one sport in the world. <laughs> oh, oh, we already are. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Yes, uh, never underestimate football's ability in this country, Spider, to shoot itself squarely in the foot. But uh, obviously, we hope that that does not happen. Um, thanks very much, boys, for the moment. Let's head overseas. London calling. London calling. Go further with the Australian College of Physical Education. With more than 100 years of experience, ACPE's courses are designed to get you career ready. Their bachelor degrees in sports performance and business, health science, applied fitness, education and dance can help turn your dream into a career. Find out where ACPE can take you. Apply online today for Semester 1 2021 at acpe.edu. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. .au. So let's uh, talk about the Euros, and we're at the knockout stage, of course, the round of 16, which began on Saturday uh, with Wales getting smashed by Denmark by four goals to nil. Uh, Maury, of course, you're, you're covering the Euros for Optus. Uh, the Danes still riding the wave of uh, the Christian Eriksen emotion, and that, that was a pretty good performance. It was, a, it was a fantastic performance. I mean, I know Wales started very well in this game and, uh, you know, the likes of Bale and Ramsey were, were influential in the early stages of the game. But I'll tell you what, once Denmark got a grip of this, um, they, they, they went on and, and, and done a fantastic job, fantastic performance. Um, look, you know, the, 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 the sad thing that we've seen, obviously, day, dot, day one against Finland, the game, Denmark against Finland and Christian Eriksen, all sort of stuff, such shocking um, news, but great that he's on the mend and all that sort of stuff, but you kind of get the feeling, yeah? That, I mean, Denmark have done it before in terms of come, come uh, into a tournament on the back of holiday and, and, and won the Euros, mm. but there just seems to be this special bond, togetherness feeling, um, but they were very convincing against Wales. Um, Spider, Gareth Bale dodging questions about his international retirement uh, post-game. Does he continue with the, the setup with the Welsh? I think he was good for Wales. I actually thought the Welsh team done done very good in the Euros. Uh, they fell short. That that can happen in matches, but there's no. I don't think there's any reason why he should retire. Hmm. I, I thought he was. I thought he was excellent. Uh, we'll stick with you, Spider. Uh, the Italians defeating Austria by two goals to one. Probably not at their best. Uh, the Azzurri uh, in this particular game, but they did enough. And I see Federico Chiesa scoring again. I'm, I'm old enough to remember, and you two are as well, his, his father, Enrico Chiesa, who is quite a player. 
I played against this old man. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So how old am I? How am I traveling? Uh, but uh, that Italy were scrappy, to say the least. And, you know, a lot of the people in Italy referred the game against Austria to the game against Australia before they won the World Cup. Austria gave them a fright, mm. as we did. But they found a way to win. And that's what Italians do. Uh, that was more of a performance of Italy than the first three games. They weren't great. They, they defended, they scrapped, and, and they won in extra time. And they don't care how they win. Italians are all about winning. So maybe it's a little wake-up call for them. It's funny, it's funny you say that, mate. When I was watching that game, my, my, my head went straight back to 2006. Yep. Mate, they commented about it after the game. A lot of the ex-players were, were writing, it just got the same feel as against Australia. Who, who was the Fabio Grosso? Uh, yeah, who was the Fabio, who was the Fabio Grosso? You're right. Just kidding. No, it, it, it was, Austria were good, um, but there's still a chance Italy. They're, they're a good enough side, I'm telling you. Very much so. Um, we thought perhaps that the Dutch were a chance. They were very good in the group stage, but it all came undone against the Czech Republic. Uh, Maury, uh, Delate's been sent off as well. Mateus Delate's. Uh, and the Czechs, I don't know, maybe we underestimate. They've got a good record at this tournament, haven't they? They have. They have. They're a, and they're a, they're a top side. I've managed to see them um, you know, a couple of times up here in, in Scotland. And was it, I mean, again, I was a little bit emotional about Scotland doing well and all that sort of stuff, but was it a shock that the, Czech, um, the Czechs beat Scotland 2-0? No, probably not. Um, you know, when you look at their players, Kufal, excellent premiership experience. Socek's been unbelievable. And Schick, uh, once again, you know, he knows where the back of the net is. He scores his goals. Um, you know, he's doing that week in, week out in Germany. Um, this was a very, very good result for the Czech Republic. And a lot of people have been thinking that this is the Netherlands that are going to stroll through this round. Into the quarterfinals they go. Uh, similarly, Spider, the Belgians, who, of course, are one of the really fancy teams in this tournament. Uh, just the one goal in it against uh, the reigning holders of uh, the trophy, Portugal, Torgan Hazard with the winner. Have you seen enough from the Belgians to suggest that they are going to end their trophy drought? Look, tonight wasn't uh, the game that I expected it to be, to be honest with you. I thought it would be much more open and attacking. It was a very tactical affair. The players who touched the ball the most were both stoppers of both teams. It was incredible. They had most passes in the match. Um, Belgium were good without being outstanding. Portugal come alive when they were chasing the match. Um, had some great chances to score. Uh, just couldn't find their way. And the, the reigning champions are out. Belgium, good side, big chance. Two problems. De Bruyne went off, I think, injured. And Hazard went off injured. I think if those two are out, they can't win it. We'll see if you're correct. In terms of the rest of uh, the round of 16 and the knockout phase, obviously uh, those games are being played after we record this uh, podcast. just want to talk about uh, three nations in particular. First of all, the French, who are everybody's hot favourites. I don't know whether they've yet hit top form. I don't know whether you hold the same view and, and as to whether they're still the favourites. And, of course, on Tuesday evening... Um, we've got England against Germany, which is uh, always a tasty affair. Who's going to win that one? Oh, you know what? I mean, look, the French, again, have they hit the straps yet? Probably not. 
Um, do they have a wonderful array of talent? We all know that they do. Um, if they put it together, then great chance to be in the final. Um, but this England-Germany game for me, look, I'm very, very excited because we know the history between England and Germany over the years. Um, I mean, I remember 1996. What was that? That was a penalty shootout that Southgate missed the penalty. Um, there was also, it was in 2010, did they meet again, Simon? Yes, yes. In Bloemfontein, I was there that day. The uh, the goal that was not given, that was over the yes. line, pre-VAR. <laughs> Obviously, the, the, you know, the, the, the World Cup in 66, England v Germany. So Semi-final, look, 1990. There's a lot of history. Yeah, that's right. That's Is that when Stuart Pearce missed the penalty? Yeah, and Paul Gascoigne cried his tears. Yeah, yeah. It's all written in the history books. But this... There is no doubt about it. They are on the soft side of the draw. So I think whoever wins out of England and Germany, I do believe that England can win this match. The winner of this match finds himself in the final. Interesting. Um, in terms of the tournament as a whole, Spider, the, uh, the Welsh have, have had a bit of a complaint about the amount of travelling they've had to do. And I think that's fair enough. I noticed uh, in a newspaper article the other day, Switzerland have travelled so far in this tournament over 7,000 air miles. It's probably not a whole lot when you compare it to us here in Australia, but still, in Europe, it's a lot. Um, England, of course, by contrast, are yet to leave Wembley. They will do if they defeat Germany. They'll go and play in Rome. Uh, but they'll then be back in London for both the semi-final and the final if they get that far. Um, is this tournament a little bit lopsided in terms of the, the, the amount of travel that some teams are having to do and the fact that others like England are not? A little bit lopsided. <laughs> <laughs> That's an understatement. It's, uh, the rules are changing everywhere for the big countries and the big clubs to have success. Look, <laughs> England, England are definitely getting a good rub of the green. But that, that's what you get, Tom, when you're playing in 11 different countries. Uh, you know, some of these some of these teams have to travel. There's there's no two ways about it. Unless they played in one country, which we know wasn't going to happen because of COVID, you have to travel. And Wales is right to complain. I mean, Croatia's had the worst draw in the world. They've, they've had to fly, you know, to Wembley to play England, to Hampden Park to play Scotland. They had to fly back to Croatia to play and back to Hampden Park to play Czech Republic. So they've not done it easy either. It's been difficult. And I feel for the players, I really do, especially after the seasons that they've had. They're playing, some of these matches were played at three o'clock in the afternoon when it was stinking hot. The six o'clock games were still stinking hot. Players are getting injured, which is, which is worrying me. And that's due to travel and a lack of rest. They're not getting enough rest time. I still feel that this is absolute folly to play in 11 different countries in the middle of a global pandemic. But uh, there you go. It was decided a long time ago. Michel Platini's idea this was uh, back in the day to celebrate the 60th anniversary of the European Championships by taking it all over Europe. I'm not sure some of the players agree that it was a good idea. Um, just away from the Euros and before we move on to our final segment, uh, a couple of items of news that are of interest. First of all, UEFA, Maury, have abolished the away goals rule for the Champions League, Europa League, the new Conference League, etc., etc. Um, Spider's shaking his head. We'll get his view on it in a moment. What's yours? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I find that the intrigue that comes with these these yeah. kind of matches, the away goal and um, the game of chess that's happened and the tactical uh, battles that, that happen between 
home football and, and away football in, in, in Europe, I, I've always found that fascinating. So I think when you go away from that, it's kind of like for the neutral, it might become exciting because obviously, um, you know, you might see a different type of football, but I kind of, you know, not all things old school, but I quite like the way that it is. Yep, I'm yeah. the same. Spider? Mate, I, I, I think it's diabolical. I re- really do. Uh, for me, it's a setup for the big teams not to fail because, you know, the small teams have hardly no chance to win now because they actually have to beat the team, and I'm talking about the big teams, by one goal. With the away goal rule, they get can actually get a draw. They can get a draw. They can attack. They can play on the counter attack and, and get through. Now, they actually have to beat them outright, which... I don't think you're going to see happen. I, I, I just think it's rubbish. Mate, I really do. I think it's rubbish. I, I think the games now will be park buses, 1-0, 0-0. There'll be games like that, and there'll be no entertainment. Some of the football we've seen and the attacking football that we've seen, when a goal happens, it opens up and sparks teams up because they know they have to score two goals to win now. won't happen anymore. It does feel to me, I have to say, as though we are constantly tinkering with the rules, um, around the edges, and I just don't think it's necessary. Football has survived for well over 100 years. I know you have to move with the times, but uh, for me, this is a rule that's been in place in 1965, and I think the fans actually quite like it. However, sometimes it it doesn't benefit your team. It it makes the games uh, that much more exciting. I agree with both of you. Um, In terms of the Premier League uh, next season, a couple of bits of transfer news. Uh, Jack Grealish reportedly about to sign for Manchester City. The asking price is apparently a hundred million. Um, is he worth that much? He's just signed a new five-year contract at Villa, and City want Harry Kane as well. So they're probably going to have to shell out a similar amount of money to to get Kane from Tottenham too. And another oh, that'll be in their left pocket. That'll be in their <laughs> left pocket, won't it? Yeah. But yeah. Another player that's been mentioned is is Reece James um, over the last twenty-four hours through the, through the media as well. But I mean. Financial fair play. There's no, I mean, what you, you can't go and spend million <laughs> on players, and, and 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 Pep keeps saying that no, no, we're not going to be spending a lot, a lot of money. Look, for me, the number one tar- target for Man City that they're going to push the boat out for is Harry Kane. I don't think Jack Grealish will happen, um, but Harry Kane is going to be the man. I think that will end up signing for Manchester City. Simon, are you happy with that? Uh, yes, although personally I would have uh, uh, preferred our Norwegian friend, Erling Haaland. But uh, yeah. anyway, who am I to quibble? Haaland or Kane? It's not a bad option, is it? Uh, in terms of the other side of Manchester, United reportedly on the brink of signing Jaden Sancho, of course, started his career with Manchester City. $77 million is, is supposed to be the asking price there. Now, we're in the middle of a pandemic, as we all know. And the clubs have been pleading poverty. They wanted to start the Super League because they needed a bit more money. You know, the, the poor rich clubs or used to be rich clubs who've lost so much cash. But if there is a shortage of cash, Spider, it's not, it's not showing very much, is it? No, I, I don't know where they find the cash. Look, I, I look at the English Premier League, and I will be honest with you, Simon, I look at it a little bit different because the TV rights that some of these clubs get in England, is second to none anywhere. It's unbelievable. It's a remarkable amount of money. Um, I tell you what, they'd want to cross their fingers, cross their toes, and cross everything they can that the crowds are allowed back because, you know, it's just not football without the fans. And the big revenue is from the fans coming through the gates, buying merchandise. That's massive for football all globally. 
I think culturally it is. I think sadly, financially, it's more about the TV deal and the sponsorship dollars. But uh, you're right. Uh, football without fans is nothing, as the late uh, Jock Steen once memorably said. Uh, last one, Maury, to you in this segment. Uh, Jurgen Klinsmann reportedly interested in the Spurs managerial job. Well, nobody else seems to want it, so why not? I'm interested as well. Does that mean that I'm, I'm in the show? <laughs> <laughs> are you in the running, Maury? Well, I wonder um, what the odds are on Maury getting the job. <laughs> it's a bit hard without accreditation, but hasn't it, hasn't it been a really strange um, off-season for, you know, we're speaking about Spurs. Um, who's the other, cl- uh, the other club that had a, having a Crystal Palace are having yep. a real issue. Everton. Getting a new manager. Ben- uh, Benitez being uh, obviously spoken about now that he'll take the Everton job, but it's been a really strange, even, even Ange to a certain degree in terms of the way he got the job at Celtic. It was like a lot of clubs at the moment just seem to be really uncertain about who they're going for and, and then they've got their man and then the man doesn't want to sign and Gattuso was linked to Spurs and who knows who's going to, who's going to be the next manager. I don't know. Good luck to him. Okay. Uh, thanks, boys. We're going to head into our final segment and uh, a rather different footballers' lives this week. Footballers' lives. So for our final show, no special guest this week. Instead, we open up the social channels for you to ask our question, uh, your questions of us, and you responded in droves. We had so many. Uh, no rhyme nor reason to the questions. We're just going to get stuck into them. So here we go. Uh, this first one is from Nick Ogle on Facebook. Uh, Maury, we'll come to you for this one. Do you think the initial rounds of the Euros show which countries have the best youth systems? So we, what we're we talking about the initial group games of the Euros. Yeah. yeah. Um, do they have the best youth systems? No, I mean, look, I think the teams that, that that have got to this tournament have obviously, um, you know, done certain things right in their own backyard uh, in terms of what they're developing and what's coming through. Um, has has it been a, a whole lot of surprises in terms of the groups and who we expected to to, to shoot through? Uh, probably not. The major disappointment's been Turkey. Yet they've got a really good. Um, you know, youth set up an academy and produce young players all the time. So it, it, it's a strange one. Um, yeah, it's a strange one to answer. I mean, there's there's some fantastic talent. And we know the sort of like areas of the world that have always had that, that football factory of talent that keeps coming through. And I don't think that's changed. Uh, Spider, this one from Brett McKenzie, also on, Fates, on Facebook. Uh, is it time for the A-League to return to previous formats, which were successful, i.e. the top four with home and away finals, to promote more attacking football? Good question. Yeah, I, I don't mind that either, but uh, they won't listen to me. So, <laughs> but I'll have an opi- I'll have an opinion because I do. I, I would go back to top five. I would actually play a top five. Uh, I'd have the the grand finalists, uh, the grand finalists, the uh, minor premiers having a week off, second and third playing each other. The winner plays the first to go into the grand final. The loser of that plays the winner of fourth and fifth, and that's the way I that's the way I would do it. Um, I, I just think six is too many, and the way they they do it is is too many. But that's the way the A League's done. Yeah, I think they do the top six obviously because they want to keep the season alive for as many clubs as possible without relegation at the bottom. Personally, I used to like 
the old system that we had, the major semi-final, the minor semi-final, home and away, I think that builds tension again, assuming that we're going to keep the away goals rule and not scrap it like UEFA, uh, and have a preliminary final. I, I don't think there was anything wrong with that. Um, whether the, the TV deal was was a part of the, the change to the three-week final system, I, I don't quite know. Uh, I think that was the rumour at the time. So maybe that will change. Um, talking of TV, Richard Tonkin on Facebook, question for me, there was a rumour that when you did the K-League commentary, that was an audition for Optus who picked up the rights. Uh, if true, what prevented that from coming to fruition? Uh, Richard, that's the first I've heard of that. If it was an audition, <laughs> clearly I failed uh, because I didn't do another one. Uh, but no, not as far as I'm aware. Uh, Maury Marcel Aboud, again on Facebook, uh, should the FFA Cup be more along the lines of the French Cup where the top flight teams enter much earlier? I quite like the way, the, I mean, the way that it is in, in, in Australia at the moment for the FFA Cup, like, the, and the, the phased way that the teams come in, the A-League teams come in a little bit later. Look, I, I prefer that because I like to see, um, you know, I, I guess smaller clubs having the opportunity to get to a stage where they maybe get that showcase, um, you know, match against a, a potential A-League team. Um, I, yeah, I don't really want to see the A-League teams playing any earlier than what they do. To be honest, I, I like the fact that we've now got playoffs at the bottom of the A-League for one spot in the FFA Cup. I think that's good. It, it pr promotes a little bit of tension at the bottom of the A-League. Not much, but a little bit. Um, and there's there's actually some punishment for failure for finishing down at the bottom. So I think that's a good initiative uh, by Football Australia. Uh, Luke Egiziano, uh, I think this one is for me as well. Uh, with 10-stroke Paramount Plus signing up the football, can you see the A-League competing with AF, AFL and NRL numbers-wise in the next five years? Luke, to be honest, I can't, and I don't think that really matters. Um, I think it will be about subscriptions rather than TV ratings uh, for Paramount Plus at least. And really, I think all, all any of us want to see is just the game reach its potential it's not about being number one or number two or competing with the other sports uh you know our competition really is the premier league let's be honest um it's it's other leagues around the world there's enough football fans for me in australia uh, we just got to get them watching the local product a little bit more as we used to do um matt mcgurr another one for me sorry boys you can smoke cigars for a moment uh, for, on facebook simon what's the best moment you've seen in the a-league and the best player uh, I think the best moment, if I can have two, was uh, the culmination to the 2011 Grand Final when Eric Partelou equalised. That was some comeback by uh, Brisbane. Uh, also, Alessandro Del Piero's free-kick goal, which I had the pleasure of calling, his first for Sydney FC. That was a very special moment and was at a very special time, I think, for the A-League when it was really on the up. In terms of the best player, no contest for me, Thomas Broich absolutely sensational and did it year in year out for about six or seven seasons uh maury one for you gary cole yes that's gary cole <laughs> ex soccer on twitter uh, how well did Ange handle his first celtic press conference gaz gaz how are you mate um now look i think um Ange was look for us no surprise simon in terms of we've seen Ange speak to the media um loads of times and he has that confidence um, he also has that um, that that sharpness if needed, you know. So when I I was having a little giggle when I was watching the press conference because it went for about 30, 35 minutes over here in the UK, and 
Spider, you like this one. The, the, the Scottish Journo, brave Scottish Journo says, well, Ange, like, so how are you going to manage, uh, handle the, the jump? Yeah, <laughs> I've seen that. Mate, he just put him to bed, mate, straight. What are you talking about? Yeah. I assume that you're talking about jump that I've, I've managed at a lesser level. And then he touches on managing in Japan, managing in the national team at World Cups and all that. And the boy, I mean, I couldn't see it. It was on television, but he must have just went. Yeah, that was brilliant. He was excellent. Um, and, and probably for the listeners back home in Australia, the way that he was received over here and the response has, has been really, really positive. They've maybe didn't know uh, too much about Ange Postacoglu before this, before he was announced as a head coach, before this press conference. They're all singing his praises now. Now he's desperate to get to work and get his team performing. Champions League qualifier on the 21st of July. So exciting times. Absolutely. Um, Arto Harkinen on Twitter to all three of you. James Johnson and Danny Townsend have just hired you as special advisor to, to Football Australia and the APL. Goodness me, I can see those pigs flying over there. Uh, what would you fix and what would you strengthen? Spider, you can have that one. What would I fix? Um, a lot of things, but I think it's heading in the right direction. Um, yeah, look, I, I think the game itself, the structure of the A-League is fine. I would change the final series hmm. for sure, and I'd get rid of VAR. <laughs> Amen. Maury, what about you? I think I think what I would like to do, Simon, is um, is just to make sure that people stick to their lane. So commercial people and the people are there to drive the game off the field to, to make sure the game's financially secure. Knock yourselves out. Football decisions must be made by the, the football people that have the knowledge and the experience. So I think for too many years, we've been um, driven down a path where decisions are being made by people that don't have the, the knowledge. That's a fair assessment. Um, I would say a national second division is my key uh, thing to strengthen the game. I think that's what we desperately need, desperately need. Uh, hopefully it will come uh, sooner rather than later. Uh, let's move on to the next question. Mr. Bodacious on Twitter. Uh, Simon, did you have a favourite commentator growing up and who's big, the, been the biggest influence on your career? My favourite commentator, you might not have heard of this guy, is a bloke called Brian Butler, uh, who used to work on the old BBC Radio 2 back in the 70s and 80s. He had a wonderful uh, West Country burr in his commentary. So there was just a little bit of an R when he used to say Diego Maradona. Uh, and there's a wonderful piece of commentary that's still on YouTube that you can find of him calling Maradona's second goal, not, not the handball goal, but the second goal against England at the 1986 World Cup. And I'm paraphrasing here, but it's something like Maradona picks the ball up on halfway, turns like a little eel, goes past Fennec, goes past Butcher. And that is why Diego Maradona is the greatest player in the world. It's just a <laughs> wonderful piece of commentary. Is he Irish? No, he's, Irish. From the, he's from the West Country. <laughs> <laughs> he was anyway. He he died a few years ago, and I, I had the pleasure of meeting him uh, at Swindon Towns Ground uh, back in the mid nineties. A lovely, lovely man and a super commentator. So he was the guy I looked up to, Mister Bodacious. Uh, Nick on Twitter, who's going to be the next A League player to make it big, like Aaron Moy? That's a good question, Spider. You can have that one. Ah, oh, thanks. 
Um, <laughs> thanks. I really appreciate it. <laughs> Getting through. I actually thought about this question seriously. And I'll tell you who's come of age. I'll tell you, I, I don't know if he's going to make it as big as Aaron Moy. You never know. In football, you're only as big as someone wants you. So if a big club wants you, you become a big player. Um, I think Nathaniel Atkinson has grown in leaps and bounds in the last year. And I don't know if it had something to do with going to Perth and being offloaded to Perth, then coming back to Melbourne City, that actually something got in his head to say, mate, I better start doing what I'm capable of doing or I'm going to be searching for clubs constantly. I, I think I think he's got a huge future ahead of him. What's that, bud? You chose the right club because that also plays a part in terms of who can potentially kick on at a level because this game's also about networks and connections. And with the City Group, uh, we know how well connected they are. Um, I, I quite like um, uh, Connor Metcalf. I, I think because he's got goals, Spider, because he's, um, I think he's got scope. Um, he, he's, he's a box to box midfielder. Uh, he, he's a player that I like. I've seen him very early a few years ago and he showed, for a young lad, he, he actually showed some fantastic leadership when he come on. I remember watching him again, come on as a sub and he's bossing and shouting at senior professionals. And I'd go, that's something that you don't normally see. And as we've touched on, Spites, I think that these type of players are at the right club to potentially go on to bigger and better things. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go for Marco Tilio, actually. I thought he was sensational in the grand final against Sydney mm. FC. In fact, he was my pick for the Joe Master medal. Uh, no, no complaints that Nathaniel Atkinson got it, but uh, I thought Tilio was terrific. And th there's, there's a little bit, they're not exactly the same players, but there's a little bit of the Daniel Arzani's, I think, about Marco Tilio. He's more one-footed than Daniel Arzani, um, but he's got a trick. He's got a bit of pace. He's got that nuggety determination. I think he's got a, a big future. Um, anyway, that's just my thoughts. Uh, let's move on to uh, Jason Goldsmith, who has tweeted us, how did Craig get roped into a cameo with Werribee City with Danny Tiato and Joe Spateri? Was it just for your mates or was it for the cash, Maury? <laughs> well, a few beers is what I got out of that, mate, let me tell you. Uh, no, Teets is living up on the Gold Coast with me and uh, his brother Frank Tiato, who obviously, uh, you know, they've done a qu uh, quite a bit down at Werribee City, and my, there was a big game, uh, top of the top of the table game, uh, and we thought it was a good idea to go down and play, and we got all excited. And when I was uh, cramping up about seventy minutes into the game, I didn't. It's a wonderful idea, <laughs> but no, I mean, quite honestly, it was like that game we went back back and played for Sydney United as well. It was, it was like that, but really enjoyed it. Uh, met some great people. It certainly wasn't for the cash. <laughs> okay. uh, Lee Broxham facts on Twitter. What superpowers would each of you guys <clears throat> want and why? Um, I'll start us off. I, I would have the power of flight, particularly in a global pandemic. I'd like to be able to go back to the UK and see my folks at some point. But um, yeah, I don't think it's going to happen. What about you, boys? 
Mate, I, I thought about that. I got something a little bit. I want to be in that time machine thing. I want to walk through the door like the Ooh. monsters, you know, Monsters Inc. I want to walk through the door and be in a different part of the world. Mate, this fly, even flying, Simon, takes time. <laughs> Open the door, mate. I mean, mate, I'm getting too old for this flying from one place to another anymore. Mate, Wizard of Oz fights. I want to go home, take me home, click the heels. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, mate, away, away you go. Oh, for me, Simon, I'd look, I would love to be able to read minds. I tell you what, because it would have saved me, it would have saved me so much time in my life. <laughs> it's a good question. Um, next one from Adrian on Twitter. I think we sort of half answered this. If VAR remains, what modifications would you apply to improve it? Um, personally, for Put me, go, sorry, go on, Spider. Yeah, you go. Just put a quicker bomb on it <laughs> so it goes off quicker. No, can't improve it, mate. It's a disaster. I'd, I think if, if we're going to have it, you have to open up the audio channels so people can hear what the heck is going on. I think that's part of the confusion at the moment, that fans are going, well, what's, what's taking them so long? Why are we not getting a decision? Even, you know, what is this? VR, VAR review all about when you're inside the stadium sometimes yeah. you just don't know and I think if it's going to stay and personally I would dump it but if it's going to stay then we have to be able to hear those conversations so people have more information uh, about what's going on. Uh, Maury you got anything to add on that? Not yeah, really? No, look, just the, the, the time frame obviously of decisions we know that they were long at the beginning we know they improved but sometimes they're a little bit too long um, my preference, like I said, is, is still to be able to give the referee the ability to, to, to really control the football match and referee the game. Um, offside, I think, is, is madness at the moment. They're talking about what thickening the line. The line. I don't know what that means, but mm. in terms of the offside. Um, I'm, look, I'm not a huge fan of it. I quite like the goal line technology, Simon. Um, I think that's important. And, and, and mistaken identity. Apart from that, I'd like to see the referee be able to referee the match. Indeed. Uh, ben Archer on Twitter. What was the most underreported story of the season? Well, I think probably the A-League in general <laughs> was underreported, uh, let's be honest. And what will the best story of the upcoming season be, Spider? Uh, look, the best story, you would have to say Melbourne City, wouldn't you? Most or... und underreported story of the, of the season just gone and the best story of the upcoming season. Oh, the upcoming season would be crowds, full houses back at the stadium. Yeah, yeah, agree with that. Yeah, that's, that that's a good one, Spider. I mean, and again, like we, we've secured a future for the game. So I know that's, we're talking about that's done now, but moving into the next season, um, what they deliver and how they deliver it's going to be very, very important. So we, we know that that's a great story for the game. Once we, we waited so long, Simon, in terms of we hadn't heard anything, which probably fits the first part of that question. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, the fantastic news of uh, Channel 10 jumping on board just gives us a really fantastic story, hopefully for not only the upcoming season, but for many more. Absolutely. Uh, Scott on Twitter, how long is the beard staying? Um, well, it's been here for about three or four years, so I don't see it going anywhere. Um, hey, it's been trimmed up as well. Beard. Hey, it's been trimmed <laughs> up as well. I can see a bit it tidy has. there, buds. Yeah, I've, I've trimmed it a little bit. I've gone away from the... Um, uh, the Ned Kelly look, but uh, no, I, I like the beard. I've never been one to be clean shaven anyway, so the beard stays. And if you don't like it, well, tough. 
basically. Uh, Alex Somas on Facebook, what's your assessment of a transition to winter? Is this a perfect opportunity to revert back to the October-May window? You know what? I don't... I mean, I, I was a big advocate for, um, for the seasons to align with the majority of Asia, which was calendar year. Mm. Um, I don't, I don't have an issue where it goes. My reasoning for that was that our, our players were protected during the June-July time um, to have players, uh, sorry, clubs benefit from hopefully transfer salaries for players to go to, transfer fees, sorry, for players to go to Europe. Like, when they play it, I, I don't have an issue, Simon. As long as it's structured, it's organised, the FIFA dates are, are respected and therefore that we're getting our best talent on the field week in, week out mm. so that there's um, some credibility about our, our league. Can't argue with that. Um, Oscar on Twitter, who's the culprit struggling with the temperature? Whenever I hear the remote beep, I get obsessed with figuring out who it is. Is it Spider? Actually, it's not, Oscar. It's me, and it's not the air conditioning. Would you believe this is my stopwatch that you hear bleeping from time to time? Um, I don't know why it does it. There is nothing I can do about it. I have pressed every single button that I can possibly find to try and stop it, but I can't. So that is the honest answer. When you hear that bleep, it is my stopwatch that I use to time this podcast. So I'm sorry about that. Um, maybe it's just time to actually go and buy uh, a new stopwatch. Um, Sebastian Hassett messaged me, former journalist with the Sydney Morning Herald, Maury. This is a great question. Um, he remembers very vividly, as many people do, the 1997 uh, World Cup qualifier against Iran. <laughs> I can see your face dropping. He says, what, is it, what was it like to mark Ali Dai? Because he was a big fan of Ali Dai. Yeah, no, look, Ali Dai suited the profile of player, Simon, that, that I really enjoyed marking. I enjoyed the, the, the bigger physical kind of player because just felt as if it was more of a, a match for me. Uh, the, the smaller type uh, that were quite agile and explosive um, and, and didn't give you a minute's peace, um, kind of, they, they were the ones that I didn't like playing against. But Ali Day was a, was a fantastic player. Um, he was a gentleman after the game. They, obviously, they got the result that they wanted. But no, nah, he, was, he was a gun player. Um, but I enjoyed playing against those types, uh, to be honest. Uh, one from Zen on Twitter. Uh, your favourite stroke, most memorable match of any past season. Maura, you can uh, lead us off on this one. You know, again, I think that says a little bit. For me, it's more about certain moments, I think, over the, the, the 15, 16 years. And you touched on earlier in terms of the grand final, 2011 Partaloo. I called, I'm pretty sure I called that grand final. Uh, you know, and people were leaving. And, and, and the way that, that Brisbane entertained all, all season and then the late drama and the that grand final was insane it really was but then I can remember like moments you know you touch on a Del Piero freak I remember Spides I don't know whether you were at West of Sydney Wanderers in the final series when when Ono Shinji Ono's had the lovely chip <laughs> we've we've actually temporarily lost Spider he's he's dropped out so <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's an, I've, seen, I've seen you go away. Yeah, no. Who was that against, uh, Simon? We know it was in the finals. Ono had that lovely little chip. Yeah, against Brisbane. It might have been against Brisbane. Um, yep. Yeah. Yeah, and, and there's, there's, look, it's, again, we're, 
we're positive about the future of the game, lots sort of stuff. We know that there's been um, some wonderful football over the years. There's been some wonderful talent that's, that, that's been able to come over. Um, you know, and we didn't touch on your Castros and Fauna Rollies. There's kind of players that are here now as well. Uh, Roy should be touched on, but there's just been so many fantastic moments and I'm sure we'll experience so many more. Now, Spider has, has, has come back on. Um, we just lost you for a moment there, Spider. Good to have you back because this next question is for you from Sam Pappas on Twitter. And he paints a theoretical scenario. He says, Spider, you're playing against Italy in 2006. Do you save Francesco Totti's penalty? <laughs> Sam, you know, I would love to say yes. But I'm telling you, he couldn't have hit a better penalty if he wanted to. I don't think anyone would have saved that penalty unless he was going through Monsters Inc. door and being where the ball was before he actually kicked it. <laughs> That's a good answer. And our final one, and uh, this is from Topical Storm on Twitter. It is our question of the week. $100 Outback Steakhouse voucher coming your way, Topical Storm. Uh, this is for Spider. Spider, what's your favourite stadium and your favourite dungeon? <laughs> Uh, here we go. I, I got. You know what? Maury's got to answer this as well. I'll give you my favourite first. My favourite by far is the San Siro. So anyone who's played at the San Siro will tell you it's a coliseum of a stadium. You drive there, you've got these big four barrels that looks like a spaceship's about to take off. You're driving to the wards of the stadium. There's crowd all over the place. Then all of a sudden you go underneath the car park and you know it's game on. You walk out onto this field. There's 80,000 people going crazy and it just echoes in there like mad. It is the best stadium in the world to play at when it's full. And the dungeon, my biggest dungeon is, you know, I, I call a dungeon a place that you go to that you never win. So when I played for Rhoda, played against a team called RKC Wolwike. Mate, their place was a dungeon. Absolute dungeon. Five years I was there, I must have played them seven times and never, ever beat them. And they always struggled to stay in the league and they cost us two times a spot in the Champions League. So RKC Wolwike, biggest dungeon ever. Brilliant. Maury? I'm going to go my best stadium is, is, is Ibrox. A little bit similar, Spides, I think, in terms of your touch with a club that you played with. But the atmosphere at Ibrox, 50, 52, 53,000, it was incredible. This place used to bounce, uh, and it was just such an honour and privilege to play in such a, such a stadium. Um, so that, for me, is my, is my favourite. Um, Dundee, Dens Park. I'll tell you what, that, that, that was a horrible place to go. Really. <laughs> I swear to God, the, the, the dressing rooms. Remember when you were, I think you were in Chile and one of the boys, I think they maybe farted past that. <laughs> mate, you would have been passing out in this dressing room, mate. You couldn't see a cat. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody let any naughty air there, mate, uh, you would have been. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. But that was one of those ones that just sticks out, Mike, just because the, the change room was was really small. You were crowded. You just wanted to get in and hurry up and get out and start your warm-up. Brilliant. Um, I'll give you my uh, best and dungeon in terms of commentary. Uh, the best was the Estadio Centenario in 2005. Wow. 
that was a noise when the Uruguayan supporters jumped up and down and sung Soy Celeste, I am sky blue. The whole place shook, literally bounced up and down. And I was bouncing up and down with them, <laughs> even though I wasn't necessarily wanting to. It was sensational in terms of atmosphere. Although in terms of the actual architecture of the stadium, you could probably call it a dungeon because it's about a hundred years old and probably hasn't had a lick of paint in a hundred years, but absolutely fantastic. Uh, and the biggest dungeon for me, I once did an FA Cup first round tie at Dagenham and Redbridge. <sighs> My God, that was cold in January on top of a gantry uh, in East London. And uh, I think I had to spend about 40 minutes in the car afterwards with the heater on full just to feel my fingers and toes afterwards. So there we go. Uh, dungeons and great stadiums. A great way to finish us off. It's been a feature of our podcast throughout uh, the last 12 months, uh, as have Jelko Kalatz and Craig Moore. Guys, thank you so much uh, for your time your insights and uh, for engaging with all the football fans in Australia over the last 12 months. It's been terrific. No, it's been brilliant, Simon. Uh, thanks to both of you. It's been a pleasure uh, working with you and talking about football and hopefully the game will just keep improving and growing and we've played a part in that. Well Maureen. done, boys. Maureen. Yeah, and I, I've loved it as well. Like I said, I think you know, the opportunity to debate uh, to have opinions uh, and the guests that we were so lucky to have on. I think it's so important that we allow these people to be able to tell their wonderful stories because I think that's what spurs, you know, the next generation of coaches, of players, of fans, all of those kind of things. So a, a real privilege um, for the 49 episodes to be speaking about many things. I'm sure there's things that people don't agree with, but you know what? That's what football is all about. It's not about whether you agree or not. It's having debate about the game to try and take the game forward. Thank you, boys. And that is us for today and for this season. Thank you all so much for listening to our 49 episodes. Will there be a number 50? Who knows? Let us know if you'd like us to return. See ya. softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.